Welcome to Living Free Today, a ministry of Cornerstone Fellowship in San Lorenzo, California. These podcasts are the weekly sermons of Dr. Michael L. Wilson. Please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus does the first healing of a leper, of which there are several. This particular miracle found in Luke 5.12 is found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It is the first time that Jesus has healed this disease. Now, this disease has been around for a long time. We find it in writings back from 600 B.C. from places like China, India, and Egypt. The skin disease, as it is thought of, of leprosy, uh, is also in the ancient books of the Bible when God was giving instructions to the Jewish people back with Moses in Exodus chapters 13 and 14, he talks about skin diseases. Now, the only skin disease mentioned in the Bible is leprosy, and it is believed that it is a catch-all term for various skin diseases, some that are more, um, more contagious than others. In the Bible, if you were found to have leprosy and you were tested by the priest, not the doctor, you would be put away from other people because it was believed to be very, very contagious. Back in Jesus' day, uh, leprosy was incurable and it was always fatal. A guy by the name of G.H.A. Hansen in 1873 discovered that it was a bacteria that caused leprosy, and he was also the first one to determine that bacteria could cause diseases. And he determined that that leprosy and the leprosy bacteria actually attacked the nerves and not your skin. And when it attacked the nerves and deadened the nerves, it would stop blood flow and it would stop your skin to regenerate with the fluids And you would become very disfigured because you had no feeling you might cut yourself and never know. You might break a bone and never know. And therefore, the lepers in Jesus' day and the Old Testament were disfigured and shunned and put away. And it was believed that leprosy was a curse given by God for this person's sin, that this person in this miracle story, uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees would look at him and say, well, he had great sin. He was under the judgment of God. And you say, well, where did they kind of get that from? Well, in the Old Testament, twice God actually cursed people with leprosy. The first was King or General Nahum from the Syria, from Syria, got leprosy, and he came to Elisha, and Elisha prayed to God, and he was healed for free, grace is free, mercy is free, but his servant went after him and said, 
give me some reward for this healing and as a punishment for this greed, the servant was given Nahum's leprosy. King Uzziah of, of uh, Israel was feeling his oats. He had just done a great battle and he went into the temple and he burnt incense in the temple of God of which the king's not supposed to do. That is the uh, priest's job. And so God cursed him with leprosy until the day he died. And so people look at this and say, well, if somebody has leprosy, they must be cursed by God. That is their view back then. Nowadays, because we know it is a bacteria, because we know how disease is transmitted, it has actually been stated by the American Medical Association that 90% of people born today in America because of our diet and our cleanliness are actually immune to leprosy. So the chances of you catching it today are slim to none. We feel we have wiped it out from America. There are still third world countries where it still exists. Uh, but in America, we pretty much wiped out what they now call Hansen's disease because the guy discovered the, uh, the bacteria. Now this person says, uh, the, the, the Bible says that when Jesus was in a town, a leper came into town. Now if a leper comes into town, they have to announce themselves. And perhaps you've seen on, you know, Game of Thrones or whatever, of somebody walking around with a bell and shouting, unclean, unclean. And that's how they had to announce themselves. Because according to Jewish literature, you had to stay six feet away from anybody who was a leper. And so you wonder where the CD got, CDC got that from COVID. Well, I think maybe the ancient Jewish literature that leprosy could not travel six feet. And so you had to give a space around them. And so this person probably made this sort of announcement. There are cases in the Old Testament in extra Jewish literature that when lepers came into a town, they would actually be stoned to death because they were considered so dangerous and so unclean. And so this person somehow makes it into this town and he falls at Jesus' feet. It says that a man came full of leprosy and when it says full of leprosy, that means looking at this person, Every inch of them you could see was covered in this disease. They may have been missing some fingers or missing some toes, having maybe some cuts that weren't healing, some sores that weren't healing. He was disfigured because of this. His clothes were probably old and tattered and just hanging over him because he couldn't work, he couldn't buy new clothes. And so he was... A sight to see, a horrific sight to see, and he comes to Jesus and falls on his face and begged him, and what he said was, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now we notice some things about the leper's demeanor here. First, he fell on his face, that is a a statement of worship, that is a statement of understanding who Jesus is. He wasn't bowing, it would have said bowing if he was bowing out of respect, but he fell on his face. He was fully prostrate before Jesus, which is you only do that to the king or to God in the temple. 
are the only places you can do that normally. So he had a sense. He also calls Jesus Lord, and that is a, a understanding of Jesus' position. He may have had an understanding of Jesus' divinity at this point, or at least God's hand was upon him. God's anointing was upon Jesus. And so he, he begs Jesus and he says, Lord, if you will. He makes no demands of Jesus. He says, Jesus, I know you can heal me. But he doesn't come to Jesus and say, I deserve to be healed. He doesn't say, you must heal. He doesn't say, you heal or else. He doesn't say anything like that to Jesus. He says, Jesus must have the, the will or the desire to heal. And he puts it all on Jesus. He doesn't come to Jesus saying, uh, this is what I, you know, I bring you. I bring you my broken, leprous body. He brought no offering to Jesus. He brought nothing but himself. And he says, if you will. And that is a sign of absolute humility. And so what does Jesus do? Well, much to the horror of everybody, Jesus touches the guy. And he touches the guy, which if you were to read through Leviticus, if you touch somebody who is leprous, then you become ceremonially unclean and you cannot do the temple or tabernacle stuff. And so he touches the man and immediately he says, I will be clean. And immediately it says, the leprosy left him. And when we say the leprosy left him, Today we would say, well, then all the bacteria is gone, but we must believe because Jesus' healing is always total, complete, and absolute that anything, all the cuts were healed, all the sores were healed, all the missing fingers were put back, all the health was put back that he would have uh, skin like a newborn baby, if you will, if you read through the the Nahum story, the Syrian general in 2 Kings, it says that. He says that after he dipped in the Jordan seven times, his skin came out like a newborn baby. And so this sort of healing is what we're talking about when, Jesus, when it says the uh, leprosy immediately left him. And then he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing. If you ever want to really be glad you're a Christian and not an Old Testament Jew, then read what is involved in going to the priest and making the offering for your cleansing. It is found in Leviticus 14, 1 through 20. And it is an eight-day ritual where you've got to take some birds and then you get some hyssop and then the priest examines you. Then you have to leave town and go live by yourself for eight days just to make sure it doesn't come back. And then when you come back, you come back with sheep and you come back with an offering. And how you do it and the words you say are very precise, and what Jesus is saying is that the Old Testament law, especially the law about 
healing and the law about skin diseases and stuff are still very much in force for the Jewish people of his time. When we talk about Jesus and the New Covenant, Jesus and the New Covenant, and the New Testament, when we get into, you know, out of Genesis to Malachi and into Matthew through Revelation, all that happened at the cross when Jesus died and said it was finished, then the new covenant is in force. And so if I have a skin disease, let's say I have a cut and it gets healed, I would go to a doctor, I would go to some medical person to look at it to make sure things are going well. But in that time, in the Jewish law, these sorts of diseases were ceremonial diseases. They put you in a ceremonial uncleanness. They put you in a place where you could not participate in the worship of God. You could not participate in doing the things that you needed to do to partake with the Jewish people. You had to be apart from them. And we can look at that and say, well, they may have done it because it was so communicative and you didn't want to have people with a disease come in your group and therefore spread and wipe out the whole town. Or it may have been just a way of understanding how the Jewish people took everything and put it under the authority of God, whether it be their work day, or their getting up, or their going to bed, or their diseases and their sicknesses were all wrapped up in the ceremony of coming to God. And one reason that that occurs in the Old Testament is that God accepts no blemishes. God accepts uh, nobody broken to come to him, that in the Old Testament, if you had a limp, for example, for whatever reason you had a limp, you could not be a priest working in the temple. God wanted everybody that was seen to be physically perfect and physically unblemished, and that could be a, a sign of God from the outward telling his people that God is perfect, that God has no blemishes, that God has no, uh, you know, broken anything, that God is perfect and therefore people who stand before him must be perfect. And people can look at that and say, oh, that's unfair, but it is trying to give an image of who God is and how God wants to relate to people. If you were participating in the Passover, the sheep that you had, the lamb that you had, had to be perfect with no blemishes and no skin diseases and no nothing, even though it would be fully and completely cooked before you ate it. You know, they didn't have raw lamb back then. It still was an image of what God was projecting to the world. God projecting to the world that he is not like us that he is different than us, that he is holy, that he is separate from us. And if we want to come to him, we must be as much like him as we physically can, at least physically, so that when people saw that, they would understand who God is. And so what did Christ do on the cross? What Christ did on the cross 
is he took your sin. On the cross, he took all of your sin, past, present, and future. And in fact, everybody's sin, all, you know, 7.8 billion and all people have said, trying to count the people of the world, that since the beginning, there have been 75 billion people that have been born and died, and we're at 7.8 or so billion right about now. And you consider all of these people and how many sins they have committed, and that is what was put on Christ, that all of the sins of the world was put on Christ. And people who have tried to fathom that say what you did in the Old Testament when you had the Day of Atonement, you took a couple goats and the priest would take his hands and lay them on one goat's head and put all the sins of the Jewish people for that year on that goat and then send it out into the desert, sending all the sins away. And the understanding of the Jewish people is that that goat needed to be punished as if that goat committed the crimes. So somebody, some Jewish person steals something, and that's a sin. That sin of stealing something would be put on the goat, and the goat would be punished as if that goat was the thief. And if you take that into the time of Jesus, all the sins of blasphemy and negative thoughts and revenge and stealing and cursing and rape and murder and all the stuff that human beings have done throughout all of history was all put on Christ and God the Father treated him as if he had done all of those sins. A fire hose of God's wrath dumped itself on Christ on the cross to punish him for your sin and for my sin. And if you, if you consider how God will respond, how Jesus on the throne at the end of time will respond when somebody gets up there and says, I don't believe it, or it was nothing, or you're nothing, or I don't believe in you. I don't think anybody can say to Jesus they don't believe in him when he's right there. The pain and wrath and horror that Christ went through, I don't think he can say, ah, it's okay. You don't have to believe in anything. I'll still let you into heaven. It's only by accepting him and believing what he did was true and right that I can gain entrance into heaven. I cannot spend my whole life doing anything I want. The, as, as has been talked about many times, there's a throne in your life. And who is sitting on that throne is going to determine where you are for all eternity. And if you spend your 60, 70, 80, 90 years sitting on your own throne, building your own kingdom, then why would Christ say, great job, 
He will say, great job if you turn your life over to him. And if you turn your life over to him, if you believe in him, if he becomes your Lord and your Savior, then Christ's righteousness, the righteousness that he is displaying in this miracle story, is put on you like a robe, like a covering, so that you don't have to do a special ritual. You don't have to do special incantations to stand before God. You stand before God in prayer, in scripture study, in church. You stand before God because the righteousness of Christ is upon you. And so if we ask the question, why don't we have to do all these things that they did in the Old Testament? The answer is because Christ did them for you. And he puts his righteousness upon you. And so when we look at this, there's two things we got to look at. First, the person came to Jesus in total and absolute humility. And if we want Christ to save us, we must come to him in absolute humility. We don't come as deal makers. We don't come as, hey, have I got a, you know, something for you? We don't come, you know, a quid pro quo. I, I'll do this for you, God, if you do this for me. We come in absolute humility. And it is an offer to God because God is making the offer first to save us. Now, will God ever say no? God will never say no if you are truly humble, if you truly come to him in absolute humility, knowing that he is the only one that can do anything, he is the only one that can save you, he will always say, yes, God is the first mover, God put the offer out to the world on the cross, and we are the ones who accept the offer Secondly, Jesus said, but he would now even more, uh, the report went around, but he would withdraw to desolate places to pray. So in verse 15, this person did not do what Jesus wanted. Jesus said, don't tell anybody. Go and give yourselves to the priest. Instead, he went and told everybody, and people probably saw the healing. And he told people about Jesus. And so the crowds came, and it says that Jesus uh, heal them of all their infirmities. Jesus never told anybody, I'm too busy or I'm too tired. He would always heal anybody that came, no matter how big the crowds were, no matter how long he did it. He would work far into the night to heal people and to teach people. But then it says he would withdraw to desolate places to pray. Above all, Jesus needed to pray. And you say, what? He's God. Why does he need to pray? Was he praying to himself? No, he was praying to God the Father. They are two separate persons in the Trinity. He prayed to God the Father, and God the Father answered his prayer. Not always the way Jesus wanted. Remember the pre-cross prayers. And so... He, it is believed, because this phrase is throughout the Gospels, that if Jesus did not spend hours in prayer, he would not be able to have the stamina and the strength to heal everybody who came. 
that he needed the prayer. He needed to communicate with his father to get the job done. And in the same way, we also need to pray. It says he withdrew to desolate places. There is a place for corporate prayer. There is a place for group prayer. But every Christian needs to spend time alone with God, alone with God and His Word. Only in that type of prayer, personal prayer, can we have the stamina, the persistence, the stick to to get the job done, to fight the good fight, and to finish well. It is through prayer that Jesus had the power. There are two popular ways to look at Jesus. One is as an example, and the example of him praying is one that we need to follow. The other thing, other way we look at Jesus is he was God incarnate. Just because I pray doesn't mean I will be able to heal every leper that comes my way. That is not my job. That is not my calling. That is not my position. Jesus healed an incurable, disfiguring disease. And if we say, well, what does the leper represent? Well, the leper represents me. That sin has broken things in me. That sin has made me disfigured. That sin has made me ugly to God. But it is Jesus Christ who has healed me spiritually, brought me from death into life, brought me to a place where I can stand with Christ's righteousness before God the Father Almighty in prayer and Bible study. And so nobody on earth is worthy of God's love. Nobody on earth is worthy or deserves God to love them. We talk about mercy and we talk about grace and these things are offered free of charge to the undeserving, to the unworthy. I am unworthy for everything I pray to God the Father, but it is through Jesus Christ that I receive mercy, I receive answers for my prayer, I receive a relationship with God the Father. When we talk about what happened on the cross, one thing that happened on the cross is that we are adopted because of what Christ did on the cross. We are adopted into the family of God. In the video, somebody was wearing a, a shirt that said, Child of God. And that is true, and that is something that we can, we can understand and be joyful about, is that we can be people who function and live as a children of God. And when people say, well, well, why do you do that? Why do you spend time reading your Bible? Before I was a pastor, I worked in the tech industry, and I would always take my lunchtime and read my Bible. And that was before podcasts and things like that, before smartphones. And I would read my Bible kind of in public. I mean, I didn't wave it around in everybody's face, but I picked a table in the cafeteria and I'd eat my lunch and read my Bible. And every once in a while, people would come up and say, what is that? And I would say, it's a Bible. And most people have an idea about what a Bible is. But then they were curious about why I read it. 
of why I'm wasting my time reading this ancient book. Because by any measure, the Bible is an ancient book. And I would be able to explain how the, the living and active and sharper than two-edged sword word of God is life-changing and is life-opening. And as I read it, what happens is, is my heart and my mind are opened to what God has for me. And these sorts of things are unknown to the world. These sorts of things are unknown to the people who do not know God. We have a different relationship. We have a different family. We are in a different kingdom than the rest of the world, and therefore we do different things. And like Jesus was so different that he really scared the priests and the Pharisees, and they killed him for it. We are different than the world. The Bible says that we are in the world but not of the world, and most of the world's problems are how people get into Teen Challenge or how people get into the Word of God is that we hit rock bottom and then Christ is there to lift us up and we come to Him humbly and He will lift us up. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, I just pray that this day you will instill in each of our minds a humility before you and a way to make prayer a priority that we will not try to live our lives in our own strength, live our lives when we are on the throne, but through prayer and study and giving our lives to you, we pray, I pray that you will get on the thrones of our lives and that we will follow you in all that you are doing. Lord, we praise you for that and we praise you mostly for your love and for sending your Son. And we ask all this through the blood of Christ. Amen. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 180 Llewellyn Boulevard, San Lorenzo, California. Our Sunday morning service is at 1045 a.m. Our website is livingfreetoday.org and our phone number is 510-278-2622. May God continue to bless you as you serve your King. God bless.